I always wanted to start a company. And, you know, the thing is, right, you know, it's a hard, you know, especially when you're an immigrant, you know, it's a, it's a hard decision. And especially from some of the experiences I had early on. And so you kept procrastinating it. You know, you're always like, I want to do it. But, you know, life is also good, you know, getting a good paycheck. Uh, some of that comes at a risk. Uh, so I kept procrastinating it as far as I could. And then it was like, you either you got to do it right now or, you know, or never. And that's that's when I took the jump. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to the GMI Rocket Show. Today is episode 31. I'm your host, Roman Zalachenko. I'm a former immigration lawyer and now the founder of an immigration tech startup called Laborless, which automates H-1B compliance. Um, and I'm also the founder of GMI Rocket, which brings you this show. I'm really pumped for today's episode. We've been doing a little bit more sort of relocation and global mobility tech lately and not just strictly kind of the immigration side of things. And it's really interesting to me to talk um, to folks in this kind of broader industry because, you know, as an immigration lawyer uh, or anybody in the immigration industry, we often think about, all right, we'll get someone their visa and then they are kind of good to go, right? We're done with the process. But the immigration process is just, or the piece rather, is just part of a broader immigration, global mobility, relocation process. The person has to leave their existing home and go through this visa stuff, move somewhere else, find a new home, you know, acclimate and settle into their new um, place. So uh, there's all this stuff that happens before and after the visa, and there's cool tech around it. So today, um, our guest is Nitesh Marotra. He is the CEO and founder of Six Walls, which is um, a tech platform that basically allows people to find the perfect neighborhood for them when they're moving to a new city. Now, it could be international, it could be domestic, it could be sort of the state right over. But the idea is, you know, we're, when we move, we want to live in a place that's going to be great for us. Um, and so Natesha's company, Six Walls, helps with that. We're going to get into Natesha's story, um, you know, how he was relocated himself and sort of with all of his years of engineering background, ended up launching a platform that effectively solved a you know, it was a solution for a problem that he had and experienced. Um, and then, of course, we'll hear about what Six Walls is up to today and, and where things are going in the future. So um, with that, Nitesh, thank you so much for joining and for for being here and for, you know, sharing your time on, on the Saturday afternoon, Friday sure. afternoon. I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Thank you. Thank you, Roman. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Um, and you are, so I'm in New York City. You are in in uh, Massachusetts, yeah. you're in Boston, right? Um, yeah, I'm right, right outside of Boston. You know, where it's snowing, still snowing right now. But hey, we have a power and water. Yeah, I know it's crazy what's happening um, in in Texas. It's kind of really devastating, and um, I feel, you know, I feel lucky to be in the Northeast right now, even though it's usually really cold here in comparison to the rest of the country. To your point, you know, thankfully we've got got our shelter, we've got our our water and our heat. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, you. I've been I've been speaking with a lot of friends in Texas, and yeah, I mean, a heart goes out to them. But you know, they, I'm sure you know most of the people I'm I'm talking to, you know, are getting getting out of it. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I I obviously hope for the best for them, and and um, we'll we'll get through this. Um, we we definitely will. Um, and you know, I, it raises a good point. I mean, you said you talked to friends and. 
Texas, I'm sure you know people around the world and around the country, around the world, right? In this, in the global mobility space. Um, I, you know, I love always starting off with kind of the background of the, the person. I mean, we'll get to what you're doing now. We'll get to what you're building. Um, but you know, there's always the question of like, why, right? Why did you build what you've built? Why are you solving the problem that you're solving? And of course, how you went about doing that. Um, before we do that, for folks who are watching, leave us some comments. Um, drop your name in the comments, where you're from, tell us who you're representing, where you work, et cetera. And then, of course, as we go on through the conversation, please ask Nitesh questions. You know, The idea is for us to get as much value out of these conversations and to, of course, be do as much as we can for um, listeners and viewers. So, um, so Nitesh, I, you know, you're, you're in Boston and I know you, you studied engineering for, um, you know, as an undergraduate, you've got a master's degree in engineering and then you kind of went back to school. We'll get through all of that. Um, but before, before even college, before all of that, did you, you grew up in, did you grow up in Boston? Were you, are you, were yeah. you here? So, what's, your, what's your story? Yes. I grew up in India. You know, I lived there for, uh, for a good 20 years, right. You know, and then, uh, you know, something, you know, my, uh, I had an aunt in Detroit. I still do, and you know, uh, I got I I got in a college over here. You know, so and you know, fine computer science computer science sound sounded really exciting, and so you know that's that's what made me jump. You know, made me immigrate to to US, and been a good journey. Did you come to the US knowing? that you wanted to live um, here afterwards? Like, or were you like, you know, I'm going to come here get a degree. I'm assuming you came on an, it was an F1 student visa. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So no, I, I had, you know, I, I had some ideas, you know, I wanted to, even, even when I came, I wanted to start a company. I come from a family of entrepreneurs hmm. and so I did want to, and you know, the, the U S always had this charm, right. You know, that's the place to grow your business. That's the place, you know, so, I always wanted to do it. I didn't know what uh, what I wanted to do, but you know the excitement, you know, of new technology. You know, I've always been a technologist. You know, always interested in science. You know, that's what uh, that's what kind of even at that point, you know, I had a good idea. I might stay over, and you know, just because of uh, of the science and technology and building a business. That's awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about? You know, you said your your family is are entrepreneurs. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Who, you know, who in your family is an entrepreneur and sort of what have yeah, they built? So, what, what do they do? Yeah. So, you know, my family, you know, all of the, you know, we come from a business family, right? You know, and my grandfather started, uh, started, started the business. And, you know, it's what's amazing to me is, you know, what we don't realize is how far we have come over past hundred years. You know, when I look at my family tree, my great grand, actually my great grandfather, had a business, you know, and, you know, from, from a family history, you know, there were, there were some floods and they lost everything they had. And so my great grandfather and their family, right. You know, they could barely, you know, they had barely enough to eat at that point. And, uh, it, uh, it, they survived, you know, with the help of friends and family. And, you know, then, then my grandfather started another business, you know, it was a re retail business. And by the time I left India, you know, we were, we were doing fairly well on the retail side. You know, we we had diversified into like mattresses, uh, property, and a bun uh, bunch of other stuff, but nothing related to science. And that's got me. That's what got me to US. Is I was always interested in science, right? You know, and that's that's what attracted me here. 
when you were when you were in like high school and um you know grade school in india did you were you drawn to any computers or like any sort of engineering or anything like that or was it not really on your radar engineering you yeah. know but not uh, not computers you know i found computers you know we didn't have that many computers but you know you it was always a timeshare with someone you know you're sharing it so i never developed a love for computers at that point uh, but science i was and engineering i was always interested in interesting um okay and so you so you had an aunt you, you have an aunt in detroit um i guess your aunt probably or maybe you said like hey i want to go study abroad and or, or i want to i want to go to america that's where the businesses are that's where the opportunities are um i'm assuming that she said great i mean you know come here and, and i'll help you um did you <clears throat> when you entered you know now you went to undergraduate school where yeah, so funny, right? You know, first, you know, first I was in Campbellsville College in Kentucky. Okay. And then I went to Iowa State University in, in Ames, Iowa. Um, and and um, did you transfer? Did, can you talk a little bit about, you know, why why the transfer or? Yeah, so, you know, initially I came, you know, Campbellsville, you know, because uh, I got full scholarship. Uh, but it was a small school, right? You know, when when I first came, right? You know, they really didn't have a they had a science program, really good science program, but not an engineering program. And so I wanted to be a little bit more diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny, you know, you'll say you know Iowa being diverse, you know, but you know, hey, the uh, college towns like Ames was really diverse, right? You know, a lot of much bigger school, twenty five thousand students, you know, a lot of people from a lot of different countries. And they had a very good computer computer engineering uh, computer engineering program. And computer engineering tells more on the hardware side. And the funny, you know, I joined, I started there because of computer engineering, and they were rated well. But I figured out, you know, I'm not a hardware person. You know, I want to be in software, so I switched to software. Wow. Okay. So it was during college when you realized, okay, I want to actually get more onto the programming side of things rather than actually building sort of machinery. Yeah. What I was fascinated with was the internet. You know, th- this is the mid nineties. Yeah. You know, that's where the internet was really booming. And the first time, you know, I got on the internet, and it it was the amazing thing. You know, I you know instantly you know you know this is gonna change something. And from that point on, you know, anything I wanted to do was something you know that could help me learn more more about that technology. And so my story over there is, you know, I started you know taking master's classes while I was an undergrad and. My biggest biggest thing was in learning more about internet. How how is that uh, how is that uh, that built? And I I was big on security even back then, like internet security. How things uh, how do you secure how do you secure the internet? And so that was the focus of my uh, of my research and you know a lot of classes I took and that that helped me later on. Uh, that helped me a lot later on in life. And did you focus on that? Because you did undergraduate, and then you got a graduate degree, a master's degree in computer science as well. So this was, did you go one to the other? Or did you kind of work in between? Yeah, you know, when I was doing my undergraduate degree, you know, most of my friends were uh, uh, graduate students. And you, so I used to hang out with those guys. But I was like the undergraduate guy, you know, the kid, kid among these guys who were doing all the cool stuff. So I always wanted, you know, so I took some graduate classes. But, you know, I was almost halfway through my graduate degree. And then I decided, let me let me go work, uh, work in the industry. And then I did my master's part time. You know, I was like, I'm always halfway through, you know, might as well get the whole thing done. Yeah. So I wow. did it from, 
WPI uh, part time while working uh, while working full time. That's um, that's so cool. Um, I I remember when I was in my I went to I, I got my undergraduate degree in upstate New York and I took a few graduate economics classes and they were really hard. I mean they were hard. I mean it's a whole different crop of students and it's a different work ethic. It's it's very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember the my story, you know, during, you know, while during the graduation was, right, you know, I was trying to finish off uh, a program that was due for one of the classes. So I was up late, late that night. And, you know, believe it or not, you know, the instructor was still taking, <laughs> taking those, uh, uh, those projects. And so I was working late and during graduation, I was sleeping half through it, you know, <laughs> because I was so tired, but it was, it was hard work. That's classic, but it also shows to me, it shows me that you are committed. I mean, this is something that like, you know, I feel like most students would be like, oh, I'm graduating tomorrow, you know, just can't wait to get this all over with. And you were like, I need to finish this, you know, this project. I mean, it's something that you really deeply cared about and obviously found interesting to some extent. Yeah, I had to graduate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Exactly. If you didn't finish it, you weren't graduating. <laughs> That's true. Um, cool. So, so, you know, once you graduated and this was, did you get the part-time, um, the master's degree in Iowa at Iowa as well? No, at WPI in Boston, you know, while I worked. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and so how, you know, when you got that first job, um, after you graduated with your master's, what kind of work were you doing? You know, what was, what was the industry like at the time for you and, you know, what were you working on? That was the amazing time, you know, you know, before the dot-com bust. You know, there was so much innovation happening in the industry, and that was uh, amazing. My first job was what they used to call firewalls, uh, you know, more on the internet security, making sure, you know, you secure secure an enterprise. And so it, this was this company called Accent Technologies, which eventually got acquired by Symantec, which mm-hmm. I believe got acquired again. Uh, but uh, it was more on the internet security, building fi- building firewalls, and I absolutely loved that. Did you feel, you know, before the, I'm curious because, you know, I, I was, I grew up in the nineties. So I, you know, when I graduated college, it was 2010, you know, so I kind of knew all about the dot-com bubble and the burst and I've only just read stories and heard stories. Was it exciting? I mean, a lot of the stuff was happening on the West coast. You were obviously in the, in the Northeast. Did you still feel the kind of energy around the technology industry, even where, you know, on our, on the East coast here? Absolutely. I mean, with all, you know, it, it was uh, the best thing about that was the excitement and the optimism that people had. You know, the optimism was, you know, that this internet is going to change everything. You know, it's going to, I mean, a lot of those visions, you know, that are being realized right now. Uh, but yeah, I'm a believer, you know, if if you listen to Mark Indrisine, you know, the the VC, and his thing was, right, you know, that startup ideas are early. Right. You know, that's uh, that's the worst thing, you know, and the biggest uh, at that point, you know, the company that everyone used to make fun was, you know, Webvan mm-hmm. and Pets.com. And the thing is, right, you know, if you look at Chewy.com, right, you know, which is a multi-billion dollar, they're doing exactly the exactly the same thing. And what so going back, you know, at that time, you know, there were a lot of businesses that I felt were, were, were early they raised a lot of money, but, you know, there was that excitement and that optimism, you know, which I haven't seen, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of that, you know, but we're going through through a pandemic, so that's uh, suppressed. 
but you know the excitement you know uh, and the optimism was uh, what, what i miss uh, miss even now so what happened you know for you with your career with you know around the 2000.com when the bubble burst yeah so that was uh, that's where the immigration you know as an ex immigration lawyer you would love the story was you know so I switched you know I was in a big company you know everyone was switching uh, switching jobs you know so I went to a startup uh, and the startup was doing backup over the internet you know so it was one of those early SaaS companies you know in right there in two thousand one and then you know the dot com crashed uh, dot com bubble crashed uh, so the company wa- didn't do as well and then yeah the, then September eleventh happened and you know so the company ha- uh, company had to file bankruptcy. And obviously, I was on my H-1B visa. Uh, my wife was still on the F-1, you know, studying. Uh, doing, she was doing her master's in computer science. And and then you're almost like, you know, you hit that thing, you know, that uh, people, uh, all of those worries of the H-1B, you know, you're out of job and, you know, you got to you gotta go back, right? You know, there's no, uh, there's, there's no option. And this, this probably the most depressing time right you know for a tech worker you mm. know because you know all everything that's going on and so that's where the good karma that i had in college taking those uh, security courses uh, so there were these two there were two uh, all of cisco had two job openings on the internet security side and that's probably one of the highlights of my professional career you know i got laid off on thursday and Friday morning, I got a job offer from Cisco. Wow! And that was uh, that was amazing. Did you? I mean, how, can you? How did that happen so fast? Did you? You laid, got laid off on Thursday. You immediately applied for a job, and they replied to you right. No, I, knew. I knew, you know, that something like that, you know, when you're an employee, you know, that's uh, going to happen. You know, so I knew the company wasn't doing as well, and so uh, I, I, I had applied, and I remember my second. Was it yeah? My second interview at Cisco was on September 11, two thousand one. Right, you know, it's one of those things. One of those things, right? You know, they say you know, probably nobody can forget you know what they were doing you know on uh, on September eleven, two thousand one, yeah. and that's that's one of those things. So yeah, we had. I knew it, you know. So I had applied, you know, but I didn't know if I'll if I'll ever make it. And so that was uh, that was amazing, you know. That right after getting laid off, you know, I got I got a job offer. That so, is. That's incredible. And at the time, I mean, 2001, the H-1B visa situation was very, very different. You obviously already had it, but there, was, there wasn't this crazy, you know, sort of H-1B cap with hundreds of thousands of people applying and worrying whether or not they would even be able to stay. Um, but to your point, the, the, the opposite was still true, though, where if you have your H-1B and you got laid off, you know, unless you can really quickly find another job, you basically have to return to your home country or figure out another way to stay in the US. Yeah. Um, so that that's crazy. So you went from, you know, the startup that, you know, was closing and had eventually ended up ended up really going under. You joined Cisco, which is a massive company. I mean, still continues to grow to this day. Um and and you stayed at Cisco for a long time. I mean, over a decade, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I loved Cisco, right? And I loved, you know, I mean, my, you know, when I was starting up, you know, I was, uh, internet, you know, was the thing and, you know, how, how it worked. And, you know, early on, Cisco was a company that built, you know, most of the internet traffic went over the routers, you know, and I'm sure, you know, as we're doing this conversation, you know, some, some, you know, bits of this conversation are going over 
at least couple of products that I've worked on at Cisco at some point, you know, wow. that was the, that was amazing. But, you know, the good thing about being at a big company, is, you know, I think I switched jobs four times and, you know, there were four completely different businesses that I worked with. And that's the part I, I loved about Cisco, you know, till I started my company, uh, six walls, you know, I was still at Cisco. I was there almost 16 years. So can you talk a little bit about just your career within Cisco? I know, like you said, you had a couple of different roles. You obviously came in as this sort of network or internet security specialist, professional. Um, you grew over time. I mean, towards the end, you were working on kind of the global, on the global side, it, it sounded, it sounds like. And I'm curious to know how did, you know, how did your career progress and what was you, what were you thinking? Because I have to imagine that whether or not at the time you were consciously thinking about it, maybe you were subconsciously thinking about it, you must have been accumulating skills so that eventually once you kind of have the idea that's the one, you're going to leave the job. And, 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 you know, so what, you know, what was it like over the course of your career at Cisco? What, what are some of the things that you, um, you know, you picked up along the way that helped you eventually when you became a an, an founder? Yeah, I mean, so I talked, you know, I did uh, through Cisco, right? You know, that's when I did my MBA. And uh, so initially I started more on the security side. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved security. I still do. Uh, and then somebody told me, I talked to one of the VCs and, you know, the VC's advice was, right, when you are a founder, you have to do a lot of different roles. Uh, and so try to experience as many roles as you can. Uh, try to do as many different functions. And she said, you know, product managers, you know, get to see a lot of different things, you know, so why don't you move on the product, uh, become a product manager? And so that's what I did, you know, uh, after being, you know, I joined as an engineer and then came on more on the product side. And then, you know, on the product side, you know, it was amazing. You know, you, I got to work on a lot of different, really cool products. You know, one of the products, you know, one of our uh, products was uh, managing, you know, managing cable modems and Comcast was one of our big customers. And, you know, so the product was managing 30 million cable modems at some point, right? Uh, and wow. different, you know, different scars about those things and different uh, stories. You know, there was always like, it actually happened, you know, uh, one of the times, you know, one of the products we were working was used by AT&T and, uh, and something bad happened, you know, product, uh, how it was deployed and, you know, uh, I think, you know, AT&T had a big outage and, you know, that was national news, you know, so you're working, you're working hard, you know, trying to fix it, you know, you don't want to be in national news for all, <laughs> all the wrong reasons. Right. So the other, other cool things were, you know, I, I, I started, uh, I worked on acquisition side, you know, we acquired a couple of companies, you know, to grow, uh, grow Cisco's business. Uh, so over, you know, most of the stuff I did, you know, uh, was, you know, trying to balance out my career, you know, to try to learn learn different skill set that would be useful uh, later on. And in the end, you know, I was working on mobility, but it wasn't funny enough, right? You know, we work in mobility right now, but it was a different mobility. It was uh, cell phone, cell phone mobility. Ah, okay, okay. So it was, you know, selling selling our software to AT&T's and Verizon's of the world, you know, so they can actually... Uh, uh, take the phone calls and uh, all that kind of mobility. Yeah, understood. I, you know, I, I've got a couple of questions because <clears throat> you have you had a really long, obviously progressive career at <clears throat> at Cisco, but I I wonder a couple of things. So 
you know, obviously everyone who has ends up becoming a business owner, they everyone has their own journey, their own timeline. Some people start their business before they finish college. Some people, you know, or they don't finish college. Some people have a whole career, have degrees, and there's everything in the middle. Um, you know, you came from this family of entrepreneurs. You always sort of had this, I guess, running in your in your mind, maybe whether just because it's what you saw or you always maybe wanted to start a company. Well, actually, did you always think to yourself, one day I want to start a company, I just don't know what it is? Or were you like, yeah, I don't know? Yeah, I, I always wanted to start a company. And, you know, the thing is, right, you know, it's a hard, you know, especially when you're immigrant, you know, it's a, it's a hard decision. And especially from some of the experiences I had early on. And so you kept procrastinating it. You know, you're always like, I want to do it. But, you know, life is also good, you know, getting a good paycheck. Uh, some of that comes at a risk. Uh, so I kept procrastinating it as far as I could. And then it was like, you either you got to do it right now or, you know, or never. And that's that's when I took the jump. And and so I guess based on that, I'm curious, you know, I, I worked at um, I worked at a, a large tech company. Before that, I was at a high volume immigration firm. My whole life, my whole career, I worked at investment banks in college. You know, I sort of had this corporate experience. It wasn't years or decades, but it was several years at least, right? Um, I always had this sort of learning that I took away from the corporate world. And I, I wonder, you know, did you ever think to yourself, you, you got this advice from that person who said, look, try a lot of different things. Because one day when you become your own business owner, if you have had at least some experience doing a lot of the different things, you'll be a better leader. You can empathize with your teammates and all that. Um, do you think, um, and maybe you don't know, but I wonder, do you think any part of you kind of held on to the Cisco job for as long as you could so that you can get all these different types of experience uh, while you were there and then you eventually broke off? Or were you just like comfortable, you know? Yeah, I was looking for the right timing. You know, before even starting the current company, you know, I was trying a lot of different ideas. And none of them, none of them, you never felt passionate enough about it, right? You know, one of the things about starting a company, you got to feel, you got to feel that passion. You got to feel this is, this is the thing that I wanted to work on. Uh, and I never had that until, until this idea. And so I was waiting for that passion or waiting for that idea, you know, where I felt uh, I could, you know, commit next seven, 10 years of my life. Uh, to the idea. And in hindsight, I feel like, you know, I was overanalyzing it. My recommendation for people is, you know, if, you're, if they're thinking, you know, just do it. Uh, don't overthink it, you know, because once you're doing it, you know, you learn a lot of different different things, you know. So I over, overanalyzed, I waited too long, but <laughs> I would tell other people, don't do that. What uh, Can you share one of the ideas that you sort of started to think about before, but never really pursued? I always think it's fun to hear kind of what were some of the things you were thinking about, you know, before. Yeah, yeah this was, you know, when I became like a homeowner and, you know, keeping track of all of these manuals and maintenance schedules and all of that was a, was a pain. So all of my ideas are around, you know, saving people time, you know. So it was more around how can we automate the stuff, you know, so uh, and save people time. And the idea was, right, you know, that, you try to hook into like someone's Gmail and see all the products they have brought and then automatically download the manuals and mm -hmm. then ingest those manuals and come up, for example, right? If you buy a fridge, you know, what kind of filter does it need? How often does it need to be changed? And so automate that task, you know, automatically 
create that uh, schedule, you know, when uh, when all the maintenance needs to happen. So the pain point, you know, my pain points, you know, I'm lazy. I don't want to do more work than I have to. Anytime I can automate stuff, right, you know, I will. And so that was one of the ideas, you know, how about, you know, ingest all the manuals and, you know, uh, automate some of those tasks around what all needs to uh, create the schedule uh, around what all needs to be done around the house. That's really cool. And you can even take it a step further and do it for small items you own, you know, your blender, your microwave, and then maybe you can see when the warranty expires. And then two months before the warranty expires, you get a you get a notification that says, hey, your warranty is about to expire. Is it still working? Because yeah. if not, it's still covered under warranty. You could get a new one. Yep, yep. And I, I, I decided not to do it, you know. I, and I think in hindsight, right, you know, it's like these ideas, you know, the idea might be, might have a lot of different flaws. But once you start doing it, you know, you learn so much and, you know, you you evolve. So I, I love that. That's so fun. And, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it, I, it's cool because people who are, you know, maybe you've, this is your first company, but in your mind, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've always had ideas. Maybe you just didn't stick with one for so long, uh, for as long as this one, but you've always been sort of problem solving, building solutions and products in your head. Um, so, you know, you spent 16 years there. You said you, the last role was kind of a, this sort of technology role where you're now working with these global um, phone mobility, not person mobility, but phone mobility companies. So I, I'm, I'm curious, now with Six Walls, you help people relocate, you know, optimally to the, to a new city, whether it's, I suppose, in the same country, in the same, or, or in different countries around the world. You weren't working in a global mobility or immigration team in Cisco. How did how did you come up with this idea and sort of how did it keep? It seems to have been the one that stuck with you. So how did that all happen? Yeah, it's 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 funny. You know, when I quit Cisco, I wanted to start something, and my initial idea was around chatbots uh, and you know how to automate automate responses to chatbots. Uh, and then I learned, you know, that market is really crowded. And at the same time, I heard this uh, this thing from this podcast from Mark Andreessen, and I was fascinated with AI, and that's why I wanted to do that. Uh, I felt, you know, that AI has a way of changing the world, and so I wanted to be involved. And what Mark Andreessen in that podcast was saying, you know, that everyone's so scared about, you know, computers taking away the job, you know, getting so good and automating it. And he's saying, you know, there are already industries, the industries where, you know, there's so much automation that people are talking about, you know, jobs going away. But there are industries in there's just not enough automation. The costs are just going up, right? And he, he, he talked about, you know, healthcare, education, home, anything related to the home. And that stuck, you know, that stuck a nerve with me, you know, because my personal pain point was, you know, uh, I had I had tried to, you know, Cisco wanted me to relocate from Boston to the Bay Area multiple times. And I always resisted that. And, you know, we looked in the Bay Area. We never were able to, you know, for a lot of different reasons, uh, relocate. But what what we found out, you know, during uh, during those exercises was that how underserved that market was you know, the relocation market. And I think I think now, you know, looking in hindsight, the reason is that people cater to local people moving, you know, because that's such a big business and they don't cater for people relocating. And so I felt that, and as a technologist that 
for me, you know, that there, there's so many ways, you know, you can make, you can automate this task or use data or technology to make the life, you know, making, make the decision making much more easier. And so that, that's how I started, I started Six Walls, right? You know, I heard that thing and then I felt like, let's go in an industry, you know, where your, you know, your technology expertise would go much further as opposed to, you know, yet another security company or yet, yet another technology uh, technology company. And that's how that's how I started Six Walls. That's interesting. So, and, and to back up a little bit, when you left, so you had this idea after you left Cisco. So you kind of got to the point in Cisco where you said, okay, I'm leaving. Um, I'm, you know, I, I need to take a break, you know, whatever, whatever your thinking was, but you didn't necessarily have a plan at the time you left your job. Yeah, I did not. I did not have the plan to start a mobility business now. Right. Wow. Um, what gave you, you know, and, and it could be a lot of different things, but sort of what gave you the confidence to, to do that? And I ask this because a lot of people feel stuck in their, in their jobs. And, and it's not that they don't like those jobs, but at some point you might want to change, even if it's a change from something that you like. Yeah. Um, but did you, did, were you just so fed up where you're like, you know what, I don't know what happens. I just need to change. Or were you kind of like, yeah, I don't know. What, what was your, what was your thinking there? Yeah. My thinking, you know, so it was much more practical, you know, so we had saved up, you know, enough money, you know, that I could be without, without a job for, for a while. My wife had a good job. Uh, but more important, importantly, my kids, you know, I have twin boys and they were, you know, we were paying, you know, childcare costs, which are fairly high, you know, when you have two kids going into the, uh, into daycare and mm-hmm. they had just entered, uh, entered the public school system. And so our costs, you know, from childcare went down significantly. And then it was like, you got to do it now, right? You know, when you're, when your costs are low and, you know, when your kids are somewhat young, you know. Uh, and you 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 have the time, and so I was a little bit practic- too practical about it, uh, but yeah, that's uh, the timing was right for me. Yeah, no, listen, everyone does it for their own reasons at their own time, um, and I think that's I think if anything, you 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 obviously made a decision based on data that you had and assumptions that you made, and like in a way that would um, be comfortable for you, because a lot of times people leave their job and they're like, uh oh. You know, now what? This is not what I expected. Honestly, that's how it happened to me. I left my full-time job um, not fully calculating. You know, I, I had all these assumptions about how things were going to go, and they yeah. didn't actually work out that way, at least for a while. Um, and so it's one of those things where if you kind of work through that, it's it's super helpful to then not have to worry. Because if you're thinking about ideas uh, for a company, for just to build a solution or a product, if you're occupying your mind with how am I going to pay my bills, it's going to cloud your judgment. It's going to, you know, you don't have that sort of creative freedom. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but if people figure it out, right? You know, I, I, I think you know, I know a lot of uh, good entrepreneurs, you know, who just got completely fed up and left, and they came up with uh, with good ideas, right? You know, they came up, they, you know, I think a little bit of pressure does help. You know, that helps the creative, uh, create creative mm-hmm. uses. You know, just. Uh, uh, just like you, so you figured it out, right? You know, uh, so I'm guessing a lot of, lot of, lot of people like that, right? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you, you know, you left your job. You, you had this. You were thinking about different things. You, you fell on this idea of um, not going into a saturated market and being just another security company or another chatbot company, um, but instead really looking at an industry that is still quite 
manual or uh, traditional or perhaps not non-technological, if you will, and seeing how you can inject a little bit of technology and automation into it. Now, of course, the challenge of going into a crowded into a crowded industry is that it's hard to capture market share, but it's easier to sell your your vision. I mean, people already understand it. The flip side of it, which is going into an uncrowded um, industry, is that, okay, you can maybe get market share a little bit easier, but you have to convince people that automation even makes sense because there's a lot of pushback. So I'm curious, you know, at this point, you're you're starting this this idea behind six walls to help people relocate and and really find a place that they love to live in is starting to um, kind of you know, percolate in your head. How did you, what are the first steps that you took to to do that? And sort of how did you formulate the idea behind the product? Yeah, so we, I mean, we did a lot of research, you know, we, even before we built any product, right? You know, I went to a lot of ERC conferences. Mm-hmm. I went to a lot of real estate conferences. I went to a lot of conferences, talked to, talked to a lot of people. And even then, right, you know, the first product that we built, you know, that was, uh, that was a complete mess. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that I learned exactly, you know, I, I learned it the hard way that you so intuitively and so articulated it so well is, you know, that going in a crowded market, you know, you're not creating a new industry. Uh, the biggest challenge for us is, you know, we're creating almost a new category and uh, the cat, you know, the categories, you know, neighborhood search, you know, typically happens manually. And for most people, you know, if you're moving within 15 to 20 miles, you know, that that's fine. And the new category that we're trying to create is, you know, using tools and using software to help figure out, you know, what's the best location for you or what's what's the best place for you to live. And, that, and anytime you're doing a new category, you know, the education piece, you know, trying to educate the industry, you know, trying to educate the users is is hard. And and we we did, we hit into that, right? You know, and sometimes you know, the first market that you go to is in the right market. And so that that happened, you know, we bounced around a lot of different markets for that, you know, so for initially we started with relocation, you know, we had some success in relocation. We had a little bit more success in uh, recruiting. And the recruiting pain point is that uh, a lot of people decline uh, joining a company because of the location. And a lot of it is pre-COVID as well, you know, before, uh, people work uh, work from home. Uh, is that when you're relocating, right? You know, you're you're only you're looking. It's very hard to project your lifestyle at a new location. It's extremely it's extremely hard. The amount of research you need to do is hard. You know, so the success that we had with recruiting was that even before people want to apply for a job at a new location, they want to see what the lifestyle would be. Uh, for that new location. And so that's what we were doing, right? You know, we're giving people and we're not just looking at the neighboring towns, you know, we're looking at a whole met, uh, area around around the job location and we're trying to portray portray people's lifestyle. And just so that, you know, they would apply, apply for that job, you know, so uh, for a company, you know, they, they're more, more recruiting leads. And then they, and the others, you know, they accept the job also. Uh, even even before relocation starts, you know, you know, getting to apply at the company and then accepting the job. So, can you talk a little bit about maybe at this point where you are in your story right now? You went to a bunch of conferences. You started to understand what this problem is um, really acutely. What was the? You, you kind of you said you also bounced around a little bit. You did a bit with relocation, a bit with recruiting. Um, when you landed on 
six walls as what it is right now. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it is, you know, what it was at the time? What was that value proposition? If you were giving me your, you know, your elevator speech, like what does it do at that time? Well, the value proposition is simple. You know, we help you figure out what's the best neighborhood for you or, uh, based on your own personal preference. You know, so aspect of aspect of personalization, you know, where I'm going to find you a perfect neighborhood for you and your family based on what your needs are, not based on someone else's need. And then the second aspect of it is using data and technology. So we, what we do is we aggregate a lot of different data. We have more than 20 sources of uh, uh, data sources that we try to get. And the reason is, you know, we pull a lot of this data so that we can help you make a faster and better decision that's right for you and your family. Uh, in the end, you know, anytime when people are moving, you know, it's, uh, it's a decision that's hard to change. Uh, or even you're buying a home, it's a decision. It's one of those decisions that's hard to reverse. Mm -hmm. And so people want to be really sure. So we're giving them that confidence, you know, by uh, with technology and data that the decisions that they're making is the right decisions and the decisions on where, where to live. We feel, you know, the neighborhood that you live is much more important than the home you live in mm. because, you know, it's surrounded by community, you know, the, and community is extremely, extremely important. And there's a lot of research to back back that up. And so our goal is to get people to uh, find the right community, you know, so they can live in that community for much longer and they don't have to keep uh, keep moving. So how, how how would it work? I mean, can you walk me through a little bit? You know, I if I'm trying to move, let's say I'm a relocating employee and I'm moving from Paris, France to New York City, right? Yeah. A lot of different neighborhoods in both cities. How would I go about, maybe at that time, or maybe it's still the same today, how would I go about figuring out what exactly I should be thinking about through six walls? Sure. You know, so we have three basic criteria, and then we have a lot of secondary criteria. The basic criteria are commute. Uh, affordability and schools. Uh, so on the commute, what we do is, you know, we'll take a map, you know, uh, from a technology perspective, we'll take a map and we'll ask you how far away from the city do you want to live? And then we'll ask you, you know, what are the other places of interest that you want to live in? Mm -hmm. And so most people will say, you know, hey, uh, with even even now with work from home, people, people are like, okay, we, I can work from home two days a week, right? You know, so we want to be hour, hour and a half, or even two hours away uh, from the work location. They might have multiple spouses that are working, you know. So we will find the intersection on the map based on all the preferences that you give. And the other preferences that people have is, you know, they want to be an hour away from an airport, or you know, they want they they have a museum in mind. They want to be that far away from the museum or relatives, you know. And we'll do that work for you, so you don't have to go look in the Google Maps and you know to try to find that. So the first thing we do is find the intersection based on commute. Then we look at your affordability criteria, whether it's renting or buying. Uh, which towns can you actually afford and have a higher probability of either renting or buying? Uh, home, and then we look at schools, and then we look at a lot of secondary criteria around around crime, around amenities, around restaurants, you know, around places of worship, and then we'll uh, based on all of that, we'll say these are the towns, you know, that 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 are your best bet based on the requirements that you've given us, and and then people people can then go try to research those towns, you know, so that's where you know our our automation ends, and that's when where we feel you know that's when 
people need to talk to other people, you know, to get a sense of the culture, you know, whether they're destination consultants or real estate agents, you know, I think those people add a much more value from that point on, you know, so the, so we'll uh, let them take over from, from that point. So uh, that that's awesome. You know, thank you for sharing that. Uh, we've got a question here from, from Josh Shacknow who asks, um, I wonder if you could talk about how you found your first few clients while building your, your tech tool. And I think maybe a question for me that would precede that would be, who are your clients? Who is your target market? Is it the individual who's doing this relocation or the move? Um, is it, you know, if it's coming through a company, are you working with the uh, HR provider that says, hey, we've got 10 people moving from, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Austin, Texas. We need you to help all of them find the right neighborhood. So how did you find those first few clients? And then sort of who are those clients for you? Yeah, so the first few clients, you know, the funny thing is, you know, our first client was in recruiting, you know, it was a tech firm, you know, that was growing really, really uh, rapidly. You know, so we we got introduced to them through our, through our network. And their pain point was, again, you know, the recruiting pain point. They were trying to hire, I think, 1,300 people in Boston. Uh, and they knew they cannot, you know, the local labor market wasn't big enough, so they had to relocate. So they wanted to use uh, use our technology. So the first few clients were through through our network. You know, that's uh, that's how that's how we found. And so now, you know, I think where we are going, you know, initially it was more about re- recruiting and relocation, but the way we are going is we're more of a HR benefit. You know, where we always look at look at us as our customer as the end user uh, because those are the people you know uh, who have the biggest pain and so now what we're seeing is with the whole work from home work from anywhere we see us also in addition to both recruiting and relocation we see us as a benefit you know a lot of companies you know my wife's company is a good example you know they they had an office in uh, in the silicon valley uh, in that uh, in the bay area and they decided to shut the office down, right? You know, they decided to go fully remote. And so we're looking at, you know, a lot of people moved, you know, to a very from all over the country to a very expensive area. And now the work does not require you to be in that area, right? So wouldn't you want to move to a lower cost areas or move because of lifestyle uh, so so that you can... Uh, you can save money and you can have better better quality of life. So we see us as a benefit that can be given to all uh, to all employees. You know, especially for companies you know that that have change in policy and work from home or work from anywhere. Mm, okay, and and um, just to to kind of dig in a little bit on that first one, your first client was somebody who came in through the network. I mean, obviously you had years and years of experience. I'm sure you knew a lot of people. Um, was it, and, but this is a, this was basically a corporate, like your first client was actually a big corporate client. It sounds it like it was, and that is not usual. That's not typical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it was. And, you know, unfortunately, right. You know, uh, a lot of things changed post COVID. Sure. Uh, and so those, uh, some of that stuff, uh, uh, did change. Uh, so a little bit of a focus change over there too, but uh-huh. yeah, that's, that's unusual to get, uh, but you know, I do see, you know, so it was a startup, right, you know, growing rapidly. I do see for a lot of tech companies, you know, startups are a good place, you know, because, they, they, because they're because they taking the risk, you know, they're willing to take risk, you know, they're on the cutting edge on the, on the innovation side. So you're saying that, in, you know, marketing and selling your company to startups 
is a good idea because they themselves are innovative and they're willing to take risk on their service providers. I, I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think so. As long as there's enough market, large enough market over there, uh, I think uh, that that definitely worked for us. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of times you do see small businesses supporting small businesses, you know, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a beautiful thing because it, everyone, you know, there are the large corporate entities and then there's some large service providers that always service the corporate entities. But at the sort of, when you take a step back and you look at small and mid-sized businesses, there's just millions of companies doing all sorts of things and they're all supporting one another. They're basically all, you know, working with each other and it's kind of, um, uh, wonderful. I, I I have another question here from from Samir Katakar, who asked, you know, you kind of answered this a little bit, but do you sell directly to HR recruiting departments or to RMCs or both? And how have you been able to provide ROI? I mean, I hear the ROI question all the time, um, which is, and sometimes it's challenging to answer when the real benefit is kind of, you know, making an employee's life easier and making something faster, et cetera. But of course, there has to be a dollar sign next to it. So, Curious. I mean, you do say you did say that you really help on the HR side. Do you also do you go directly to them? Do you partner with RMCs and say, "Here's what we can provide to your different companies," um, and then what's the kind of value proposition, I guess, that you give for them? Yeah, so bo- we do both. You know, so uh, but primarily going direct to the company makes a little bit more sense early on uh, because they, like I said, you know. The companies have the pain point, you know, and they're much more willing to take uh, take the take the risk. Uh, so that's where we had uh, had the success. But we sell through both. Uh, and how do you? Uh, so on the question of ROI, you know, that's a tricky one, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, what we what we what we're selling is employee experience. You know, how do you how do you quantify employee experience? So we did. You know, we tried a lot of different methods, you know, to quantify employee experience. And one of them was, you know, we did, a, we looked at a lot of research studies and the research study says, you know, what's the, what's the cost of employee leaving, right? Uh, so we looked at it, you know, we used that uh, to quantify, right? You know, if you do not provide the right tools for your employees, you know, you're losing on productivity, you're losing on, when, when employees leave, you know, you're losing on that knowledge, and that knowledge, you know, and but it was a little bit easier on the recruiting side, you know, because those departments are slightly more mature from from a ROI perspective. And the ROI over there is how many uh, recruiting departments are judged based on how many people do you get through, how many people are interviewing, mm-hmm. and how many how many jobs they are open, and how fast you close those jobs, right? And those they have a much more valid metrics. That are easy to uh, easy to measure, and so that's why we had a little bit more luck on that side. But I feel even on the relocation side, there there's a little bit of that, but it's a little bit harder to quantify employee experience. I was going to say, you know, the, uh, the one thing that I would add to that is, you know, last week I had um, Lynn Greenberg on the show, the CEO of Pivot, and I yeah. feel like one of the things that she also talks about is not only is it bad when employees leave. Um, but you know, there's also, even when they do stay, if they're sort of, if their happiness is suffering, if their mental health is suffering, they're underproducing, you know, it just, the whole thing trickles down. Plus if they do leave, forget about the lost, the lost, uh, job and, and the lost knowledge, you now have to spend a lot of time finding, hiring and training another person. That's 
time and money lost right away. Yep. Um, and that, depending on who the person is and what role they have, that could be tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. um, if not more, you know? So it's, it, there's, it's, it's just, it's interesting because I think this is always a challenge. We know it's right. Like you telling me that your product, if it helps somebody move in a better, more human way, that's going to match their sensibilities and match their preferences. It, that sounds right. I mean, that sounds like a good, um, uh, you know, so, a solution. And and when you talk to any company, that sounds right. But there's, we always go back to this challenge of like, okay, fine, but does the math make sense? And I, and I get it. Like the math has to make sense because businesses are, you yep. know accountable to, to their bottom line to some extent. But I, I wonder if we'll ever move away from that, like, or maybe if it's going to become more acceptable to say, look, if there's a threshold of $30,000, let's, I'm just going to put a number out there, 50,000, $100,000 a year for a vendor. That's our threshold. If that vendor can can do, can give us something that will make the lives of our employees better for sure, we don't need to hear about ROI. If the vendor costs less than $100,000, let's do it because that's going to make our employees happy. And like that number to us, we don't even have to think about it. Yep. I mean, I don't know. Are we ever going to get there? Like, where do you think it's going to go? I I think, you know, there are a lot of, uh, lot of HR departments that do do that. And I think, you know, they're always early adopters. You know, they don't care for cost. You know, if you go to, uh, if you go to some of those uh, early tech uh, companies and a lot of tech companies, you know, or, you know, any company, right, you know, where the cost of labor is so high, you know, the cost of uh, employee leaving is so high, they don't care. They just want to provide, you know, and most HR departments have discretionary budget and those are large, right, you know, to improve uh, improve productivity and do, you know, do, do stuff. But I do feel, you know, you, as a business owner, you know, you need to start from the early adopters you know, for an early adopters at those companies. And once, once, you know, once, you know, one company does it, you know, there's always, always those followers, you know. So the pre-COVID days, you know, Google providing, you know, lunches, you know, free lunches and free dinners, right? You know, I wonder, you know, what's the cost for that, right? You know, that's not cheap, right? You know, but if you go into the, in, in the Bay Area, right? You know, pretty much every company, Every every startup that came up, you know, over the last ten years did that. You know, why they did that? You know, because that that's become the become the standard. So it's even not even the seventy thousand or hundred thousand threshold. It is, you know, how can you make that benefit a standard, right? You know, that the employees are asking for it. And if the employees are asking for it, you know, you've won half the battle. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess this actually brings us to our, our another question here, um, also from Samir asking, what are your top one or two marketing strategies? And the reason I think this is a perfect question right now, because if to your point, if we're going to have employees asking for these benefits, that means that number one, these employees need to know that these benefits exist. Yeah. And number two, they need to be convinced that these benefits will help them in some way. And yeah. that means educating them. That means putting out information about who you are, what you do, how you can help them, et cetera. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you tackle marketing for six walls um, where you're kind of providing definitely a, a positive service, but you know, within the whole scope of, of the global mobility uh, journey or the mobility relocation journey, it's it's kind of a, it's a sliver, right? 
Yes, so we're we using like a two pronged approach. You know, on the on the first first marketing strategy we're using, you know, we we're trying to use the same strategy used by Slack and Atlassian. You know, which is you know, give your product for free for the early adopters. You know, give it to the users. You know, let it get enough enough pace that people you know that employees are asking for it. You know, so we're going through a lot of strategies. You know, where we let the people use you know. Uh, employees use a product if they come directly to us, you know, we let them use it for free. Uh, and and the idea is, you know, so that, you know, spread the word around, you know, that that is your acquisition cost, you know. I mean, somebody running, you know, for us to run the software, you know, the marginal cost is really, really low. Uh, but the cost of the acquisition of a user acquisition, customer acquisition, much high. And so if somebody found you and, you know, we're spreading the word through SEO and a lot of different channels, you know, where we let them use it. Uh, so that's one strategy that we uh, that we use, you know, to uh, spread the word around among uh, employees. And then the second strategy is more around the voice. You know, I think one thing that gets missed in our industries is, People are moving because of a benefit to them. You know, they're moving because of a better lifestyle, better paycheck, or because something in their life is improving. You know, they and if you look overall at the industry, you know, the value prop- proposition that we prop- that we talk about is more around uh, more slightly more bland. You know, that we are dependable, we are trust because moving and immigration are such a painful process. But you know, one of the things we we're trying to do is make it a little bit more bold, more exciting, uh, you know, talk about, you know, all the benefits when people actually, users actually do move, you know, so that's, so the strategy is, you know, differentiate yourself on the, your marketing tone, right, you know, where you're bringing a little bit more excitement, you know, uh, in, in, in your messaging. And, and and how do you, you know, you mentioned SEO and, and ads, so, I mean, you're running Google ads and Facebook ads and things like that. Yeah, so so we do do uh, so we go direct to uh, consumers as well. You know, so we have another brand called Next Burp. You know, where uh, where we have uh, let people use some uh, part part of these uh, technologies for that we do SEO, uh, and then you know we'll we'll start experimenting with the uh, with the ads as well. Mm, that's awesome, um, and it's it's Next Burb. Yeah, that's like, right. sub, like next suburb type of thing. Yeah. Um, and 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 is that sort of a subset of six walls, but kind of on the direct to consumer side? Yeah, that's uh, that's using our techn- six walls technology and direct to the direct to the consumer. Okay, and the difference there is that here it's a little bit more of a B two B two B where you're you're uh, you're working within the context of a person relocating for a job. Yeah, so so what we feel right, you know, if you look at the data, right, you know. The number of people, you know, if you look at the census data, you know, census gives four reasons why people move. You know, number one reason is people want uh, uh, housing, mm-hmm. uh, about 40% of the people roughly. Uh, second reason is around, you know, people move for personal reasons, you know, for family. You know, they get married, they get divorced, uh, or they want to be close to the family. That's roughly around 30%. And the work-based relocation is only 20%. And ten percent is all the other reasons, right? You know, so the goal is to be able to target some of these other people as well. Interesting. Um, that's awesome. Uh, it makes that, that makes a lot of sense because it sounds like you have this, you've got this base technology that really helps people. I mean, ultimately figure out the best place to live, and then you have this sort of 
segmentation of why people are moving in the first place. And if you can take that foundational technology and maybe deliver it slightly different ways, depending on why the people are moving to your, and like you said, it sounds like via kind of different brands a little bit, you can actually grow your reach and probably get more data as well, as far as what your company is seeing. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. That's, that's the plan. And it, it helps. It helps the enterprises as well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the sense that they, it matures the technology, right? You know, sometimes, you know, enterprises don't want to pay for the whole maturity. They want they want the cost to be distributed across a lot of different things, a uh, lot of different segments. And that allows us to do that, right? You know, you can spread the cost around uh, more, you know, so you don't have to charge those high, uh, those high premiums. You also hear a lot about, um, you know, more lump sum moves rather than people who are being supported all the, along the way by their RMC or by their, you know, global mobility person. And so if it's a lump sum move and that person's going to find their tools by themselves, then maybe you're kind of, they're going to be working with Nextburb, but they're actually moving because of work. And so you're kind of getting a little bit of overlap potentially as well. We could, we potentially could, you know, and, and, and the goal is, right, you know, that they will talk to the enterprise or the RMC, you know, and, you know, in, improve the standards, you know. So I think, you know, for all the startups, you know, whether it's Lynn, whether it's uh, Roman, it's you or me, you know, what we want is we want to raise the standard. We want our users to ask for better technology, yeah. right? You know, the biggest the biggest risk to our, uh, to our startups is that when users do not ask for better solutions or better technology, yeah. that's that's the hardest for us, right? You know, so anything we can do, you know, to educate the users and improve the standards, you know, I think that's good for good for everyone. What do you think has been, you know, I'm curious because it sounds like, you know, you left your job, you're building this company, you're clearly solving a pain point um, and you're, you, you now have this interesting pivot or not pivot, but you kind of have doubled down and, and you have these two um, approaches to the industry. But I, I don't know, have you had any, What's been challenging for you along the way? Because if it sounds like it's just been a perfect ride from day one. <laughs> I mean, I wish that was that was true, right? You know, I think COVID, you know, for everyone changed uh, changed everything. You know, I mean, we were going after the tech companies, and you know, COVID happened, and everyone's working from home, and that that was uh, that that that's what made us pivot a little bit, and you know, also experiment with Nextperp uh, and. Uh, Try go direct to the consumer, consumer at well, and it's it's hard, right? You know, trying to learn, you know, trying to straddle towards is extremely, extremely hard. But you know, you look, you know, look at all the good big enterprise companies. You know, they're tra- taking the taking the best of uh, best of both uh, both worlds. So the biggest, you know, learning for the biggest challenge for us is, you know, my background in my network is in technology. You know, and, you know, the biggest challenge for us is, you know, building a network in a completely new industry. Uh, in H- HR, relocation, even immigration, they're very small, you know, very small spaces in the sense that everyone knows everyone. And, you know, there's a big, uh, there's a small network. And, you know, so try to break into that network and, you know, build that network uh, has been hard. Uh, understanding the nuances of different technology and the new industry that's uh, that's that's been that's been hard uh, for us. What do you think would be? You know, I, I'm always curious to hear from guests what they think the future of the industry holds. You know, what what do you what are you seeing in terms of 
the future of, um, let's say, the relocation space in, in, in specifically. But then, of course, my other question on that, on top of that would be, what do you wish you could see as well? I mean, there's the things that we're already seeing, but it sounds like there are some, there's room for expanding the horizon. There's room for opening up the door and letting more people in. You know, what do you wish you could see in the industry? And then where do you see things going actually today? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the biggest trend for the industry is like the work from home and work from anywhere. You know, that is by far, uh, I do see that, uh, I do see that uh, work from uh, people relocating for work is going to decrease uh, over time. And people, it's not that, so people, you know, pe- people are thinking, you know, whether should I figure out where to live first or where should I work and then make the second choice. So far, it's always been, you know, people think about work first, you know, because job opportunity and where you live are so tied together. And I think that would change. You know, people will start slowly thinking more about the lifestyle and all the other reasons for relocation uh, or personal relocation. And then they would think about uh, uh, about work, right? You know, trying to find, you know, because when we talk to users, you know, what we see is, you know, they feel, especially in the tech industry and, you know, some in the industries that you can work remotely, we feel, you know, they they decide to move to a location and then they'll find a job, you know, that will allow them to do that or, you know, try to find uh, find a job. So I do see, I do see uh, people moving for other reasons. And, but I do see overall, you know, roughly, if you look at number of people moving, roughly 10% of the U.S. population moves, you know, I think it was Pre-COVID, you know, the last set of numbers we have, it, I think it was 9.3% or something like that. And that's been the lowest in like 50 or 60 years, you know, whenever our records have been keeping. I do see that increasing. The number of people moving, you know, because of COVID, because of global warming. In fact, you know, one of the VCs, Fred Wilson, uh, said, you know, they expect more people to be moving because of global warming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do see more number of people uh, people moving. And so from as an industry perspective, from HR perspective, I do feel, you know, they need to have a bigger tent. You know, they need to uh, think of relocation as an employee benefit, not as something that just happens after recruiting, right? You know, so that should happen anywhere, you know, at any time, right? Uh, because you want your employees to be happy. And, you know, when they move to better areas, right, you know, it's... Uh, you're you're gaining you know you're gaining whether it's on if it's a lower cost area you know you're gaining or you're getting a presence in an area that you did not uh, did not have so i do see as a, from a trend perspective i do see those things uh, those things would happen what 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 would our biggest wish list be my biggest wish list would be you know that people ask for better technology people don't get used to the uh, for the lack of better word, you know, really old and crappy technology that that they uh, that they've been using, right? You know, I I want people to have higher standards, you know, and hold their vendors to much much higher standards, you know, and that's uh, that's good for that's good for innovation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and we're slowly seeing that. You know, when we see companies like Uber and Airbnb, and you know, any number of consumer apps constantly roll out updates and features and things like that. Um, and then we go back to work, or I, I suppose in, in now we wake up and we're already at work, but you know, we, we log into our work 
related platforms or we go through this process with our companies and then we're like, yeah, this is not even close to the experience I'm seeing with my consumer apps. And so we should be challenging that. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, as people start to think maybe that way a little bit more and start pressing their companies to find better solutions, the companies will in turn hopefully press the industry and say, all right, what's out there? Yep. And I, you know, what I find is that a lot of times there is someone building a solution for a problem. But if the problem, if the if companies aren't really super aggressively looking for that solution, those the whoever's building it is going to stay small for a long time. And ho- I mean, hopefully they can survive, right? But sometimes they don't. Um, so if we can accelerate this feedback loop of consumers want something, they press their companies, the companies go out to the industry and say, all right, we're willing to invest in experiment to make things better for people on a daily basis. Um, I hope that... I hope that that's going to, you know, move yeah. our industry forward. Yeah, uh, uh, ab- absolutely. You know, the pace and, and, you know, the pace of innovation, pace of change has increased, right? You know, and I think uh, that that would increase. And I mean, I think that's a big uh, Jeff Bezos saying. Uh, Jeff Bezos saying is, you know, the user experience, you know, if you use the experience, you know, does not stay static, right? Users' expectation keeps increasing over time, right? You know. Before they wanted some a package delivered in a week, then it was two days, then it's a day, and then it's few hours, right? You know, so the users' expectation keep increasing, right? You know, and hopefully, you know, so that's that's the biggest hope for for all of us uh, entrepreneurs, you know, trying to change the world. Yeah, amen. Um, I you know because you're in the immigration in the kind of relocation industry, I'm curious for you. You help people find the best neighborhood for them to live in. Um, I, I like to try to end these conversations on a more of a fun question. If you could choose any neighborhood in the entire world, if no money wasn't an issue, if COVID yeah. wasn't an issue, if you could choose one neighborhood in the entire world to live in, um, and maybe it's Boston, I don't know, but if if it's not Boston, where would that be? You know, I love the town I live in. You know, it's Lexington. You know, what I don't love about it is, you know, if I could turn my camera around, you know, you look at the snow. That's the part I don't. If I could move this town, move it to California or a Florida or a Texas, I would absolutely, absolutely do uh, do that. You know, so I I like you know I, we love traveling, and so we I, we feel like we'll be happy in a lot of different different lo- locations. You know, I, I love I love the Bay Area. I love uh, I love the enthusiasm. Even though people are moving out of there, you know, I wouldn't you know. Uh, hesitate to move there just because of the vibrancy, the diversity, the climate, uh, and the enthusiasm and optimism. I love that. Yeah. I've been to the Bay Area a few times and it is it is all of those things and a decent climate too. It's never too cold. It's never too hot. It's quite nice. Yep. Um, cool. Well, Nitesh, thank you so much. This was such a great, interesting conversation. You know, thank you for sharing your story and everything you've built with with Six Walls. I think this makes so much sense um, as part of uh, the relocation experience. You know, we're the industry is already kind of working on some parts of it: the immigration side, the the document storage side. But let's remember that once these people arrive, who, these mobile employees and their families, they arrive to a new city. Let's make sure that the life there, moving forward, is good. And part of the way to do that is to, of course, make sure that they're moving to the right neighborhood. So. Um, I think this is just an awesome product, and um, I, I wish you uh, all of the best success after COVID lifts. Let's get people moving again. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roman. It, it was exciting and so much fun talking to you and interacting with the audience. And I love, you know, all the stuff that you've been doing and all the engagement on the LinkedIn and uh, all GMI Rocket and all the stuff that you've done. Really appreciate all the hard work that you've put in all of these things. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, thank you so much. Have a, have a great rest of your weekend.